After almost 50 episodes of the show, we're looking for some financial assistance to help us continue making it. Our goal was really never to make money from it, but as it's become an enormously time-consuming process, we're hoping you can support us through signing up for our brand new Patreon. What's cool about Patreon is that you can support us for as little as $3 a month. Please go to EssentialPodcast.com and click on the support link to help out. While it's easy enough not to do it, if you've been enjoying the show, please pitch in. Thanks. I was installing my instrument, which is quite a lot of work. Uh, it takes several days. And I was there working alone. And then there w this was uh, a club, a super deluxe. And so there were, you know, crew there, um, you know, setting up, uh, you know, um, cooking, you know, a chef cooking and just, you know, various people walking in and out. But I was basically working alone on my instrument. And hour after hour, uh, they had Grateful Dead on a loop. And I couldn't believe that I had gone all the way to Tokyo and I was in a dark room um, in the section of Tokyo that is uh, Roppongi, which is the, uh, the district that is where um, most of the uh, Westerners are. I had not had a chance to, to see anything about Japan and I was in a dark room all by myself and the Grateful Dead was playing. So anyway, um, I asked the chef, if the, the if we could possibly listen to some Japanese music. And he put this on. And uh, I really fell in love with this sound. This is Essential Tremors. I'm Lee Gardner. I'm Matt Byers. The idea behind this show is to have musicians and other creators talk about songs that shaped who they are. We're not looking for favorite songs necessarily. We're also not looking for songs that they'd choose to take with them if they were stranded on a desert island. What we're looking for are songs that have significance to them. Songs that might have changed the course of their creative lives or their lives in general. developing the long string instrument, an installation of dozens of wires 50 feet or more in length since the early 1980s. This project encompasses the study of just intonation tuning theory, a compositional practice centered on string harmonics, experiments with various wire alloys and gauges, the development of a tablature graphic notation system, and wooden resonator design and fabrication. The enveloping nature of the rich acoustic tones produced by the long string instrument evokes a sensation of being inside of a musical instrument. One of her many accolades and awards includes a Guggenheim Fellowship in Music Composition, and in 2016, Fulman was the Distinguished Alumni Speaker and Guest Critic at the Kansas City Art Institute. The first song selection Fulman chose as being formative for her was Luda Upopo by Umeko Ando. 
reason why I chose this first piece is that it always makes me feel good to listen to it. Um, this music I first heard when I was uh, performing at Super Deluxe in uh, Japan, in Tokyo. Um, that was, I think it was around 2007. And I was installing my instrument, which is quite a lot of work. Uh, it takes several days. and. I was there working alone, and then there w this was uh, a club, a Super Deluxe, and so there were, you know, crew there, um, you know, setting up, uh, you know, um, cooking, you know, a chef cooking, and just, you know, various people walking in and out, but I was basically working alone on my instrument, and hour after hour, uh, they had Grateful Dead on a loop, and... I couldn't believe that I had gone all the way to Tokyo and I was in a dark room um, in the section of Tokyo that is uh, Roppongi, which is the uh, the district that is where um, most of the uh, Westerners are. I had not had a chance to, to see anything about Japan and I was in a dark room all by myself and the Grateful Dead was playing. So anyway, um, I asked the chef if the that if we could possibly listen to some Japanese music. And he put this on, and uh, I really fell in love with this sound. Um, so this is, um, this is a, a group, um, the, um, the uh, vocalist, is, her name is Umiko Ando. Um, she was considered the Ainu um, diva. And she um, unfortunately passed away um, uh, about a year after this album was recorded. Um, and but anyway, um, this music reminds me of the sweetness of uh, Japanese uh, ordinary interactions and just ordinary everyday life, just the gentleness and the sweetness. Uh, but beyond that, I became very interested in the mesmerizing effect of this plucked instrument. This um, The string instrument is called the tone cori. And I was uh, became so interested in it that I wanted to find a way to study it. Now, it's very hard to uh, as a non-Japanese speaking person to get information, to find out where there might be a teacher. And above all, Ainu music had been um, outlawed in, by the Japanese government in a, in a way they, um, I'm not sure uh, uh, the, the uh, dates of this kind of um, you know, movement, but, it, but they were very much treated like Native Americans. Just uh, the government was trying to erase the culture. So anyway, um, so it's, you know, kind of a hard, obscure thing to, to um, discover. And, uh, but I was very fortunate and I was able to find a teacher in, uh, I, I went, I came back to Tokyo after this, this uh, concert, I, I was able to uh, get a fellowship to um, study uh, various traditional Japanese musics um, in a way, I got a survey um, as a composer to just to, to you know, uh, 
to have exposure to how several of the instruments work. And um, anyway, um, back to the tone query. Um, I managed to find a teacher. Um, she was Okinawan, and anyone who knows anything <laughs> knows that that's kind of funny because she, you know, is also a foreigner to Japan. For her origins were foreign, you know, uh, an immigrant. And um, well, the Ainu people are the indigenous people of Japan, but um, they were forced to um, north to Hokkaido. They're, so most um, Ainu culture is um, based in Hokkaido. Um, anyway, so this uh, teacher um, in the late 1950s, her husband had um, a job in Sapporo, and she's a koto player, and she became um, very interested in this uh, music. Um, and there were um, two older ladies considered um, masters of the tonkori uh, who she studied with. And uh, my teacher's name was Tomiko Tomita. And she's now recognized as, in a way, as an ethnomusicologist and an expert on, on the tonkori. Um, and she studied with these uh, two older ladies uh, because normally the tonkori is passed down uh, through family lines, and the children were were not interested in in learning it. So um, uh, they agreed to teach um, Tomiko Tomita, and that's how I I learned the tonkori. And what I what I find interesting about it is that. It's a mesmerizing sound. It's a repetitive sound that um, was used in a way, uh, in a ritualistic way, where the same pattern might be played over and over again for hours, 12 hours um, in, a, in a social gathering, everyone playing in unison. And it's, it's just um, something that I, uh, I find a, a very... Um, pleasant experience when there is a repetitive sound that also has a, a positive kind of uh, vibration. Um, so, uh, well, that's, that's my story on, on the Tonkori. And the group that um, actually produced this album is um, Oki and the Ainu Dub Band. Uh, they're, they're somewhat popular group in quote-unquote world music so they do like kind of a fusion you know um and they aren't playing the tonkori in a in a uh, traditional manner their tonkoris are amplified and they're they've created uh their own patterns um and but i find this i i normally find world music or fusion world sounds to be annoying but i do appreciate the way they've produced this album because they have kind of polished or um, made more rich um, through the use of bass and percussion, um, this traditional music. I was not familiar with uh, the, I, I knew about the, I knew people. I was not familiar with this artist or the instrument before um, we, we set up to talk about this. 
Um, but I'm struck by the, the fact that, as far as I understand it, the tonkari has a lot in common with the instrument you ordinarily play in that it's sort of open strings, not fretted, um, and and maybe not exactly the same sound, but has some sonic affinities. Um, it, it, is that why you think it, it grabbed you? Well, um, it's not so much like the long string instrument, but it's very much like... Um, a percussive way that I uh, have also been playing my instrument um, using a tool that I designed called the box bow. And I, I coincidentally realized after the fact that this kind of mesmerizing repetitive pattern sounds, there, there's a lot of um, correlation with the, with the tone quarry sound and my box bow sound. Um, so, um, I do, I do feel an affinity for that and I, you know, listen to it in a way as inspiration for my own sound, my own music composition. The second song Fulman chose as essential to her formation as an artist was Ebena Casamato Lament by Ango Ensemble. The second track uh, is music that I was introduced to by Werner Durand, who is a composer, German composer based in Berlin. Uh, he plays uh, like a, a variety of wind instruments, um, and he did work in a record store and has an extensive record collection. Uh, this was. Um, an album that he had, uh, a very rare album that he had uh, copied, um, the, he had copied the LP and created digital files of it and, and gave it to me. Um, now these days, uh, it's online. Uh, you know, it's just amazing to see so much in, available, so many things that have, have um, been preserved online. So I wasn't really aware of what the title of this album was or anything. I just knew that it was, he just said it was African horns. Um, but what I find about this um, so beautiful is that it seems, well, it seems to relate to uh, some uh, a sound that is was somewhat popularized probably on NPR um, 
pawpaw music, which is um, it's spelled P-O-R, P-O-R, which is played with car horns. It's a very similar kind of sound, only these, um, these horns are um, uh, natural materials and uh, like kind of like a long conical tube. And I, I you know, the, the, the tone of, of these horns on this album are, is, are richer than um, a car horn honking. Um, so I find it um, very beautiful, the, the, the rich, uh, the rich, um, dark tones. I also find it interesting, the, you know, to, to my uh, ear, kind of a chaos around, and then, which, which then organizes. It's sort of like, they, they stop on a dime. And so everyone, there's something, there's a, there's a moment of silence when they stop, and then they start again. Um, so it's very well organized out of what sounds at times chaotic. And I find that really, um, really uh, kind of energizing. Um, but in general, uh, in a generalized way, I very much enjoy the hocketed um, forms of music that or that are originate in Africa, um, and the African diaspora's effect on popular music. Um, I grew up in Memphis, and um, this gives this sound gives me kind of the same delight as hearing the Memphis horns play, you know, on an uh, Otis Redding record. Um, so just. There's just kind of an exuberance, uh, a wildness in uh, tooting horns. And I also, um, in my music, um, I really like the sound of American train whistles. Uh, There's all kinds of um, signatures from uh, different conductors and different trains have different different tunings, and we are near a, a train track here in Berkeley, California, and, you know, especially late at night when the freight trains go by, there's uh, just a beautiful Doppler effect of, you know, like the rising and falling pitch of a train horn honking, and you can recognize the signature of the conductor because a particular train will play a, a, a kind of a tune, an arpeggiated tune out of the the uh, horns on that train. Uh, it's quite beautiful and has been captured on some of my records. Um, but I also, in a way, have been imitating that sound in my music because uh, I'm very interested in, in playing um, a sustained tone on and off, as like kind of uh, graphically like a dotted line. Um, and just sort of dispassionately um, honked. Um, and I, don't, I can't explain to you why I'm attracted to that, but in a way it's, it's something to do with perhaps being by water, hearing, you know, hearing foghorns or hearing you know, sometimes big ships come in through the bay and you can hear them off in the distance. Or the, you know, uh, somehow I'm attracted to um, just... Um, 
these non-musical sounds that somehow feel musical or atmospheric. The final song Fulman chose as being crucial to her was The Well from the Well and the Gentle by Pauline Oliveros. has been a great influence on me in many ways and this piece The Well was um, she performed that for uh, uh, a collaboration that she did with Deborah Hay titled The Well um, and I saw this work performed in New York City um, at Dance Theater Workshop uh, with Deborah's company um, Deborah at the time worked with four uh, dancers um, and it was a, a very uh, Im, you know impressive um, it made a, a huge impression on me um, I just felt at home with the work and Pauline was always not only uh, a musical influence, but a personal influence. Um, she um, did help me uh, along the way, um, uh, mentoring um, my interactions with the world. Just in terms of, you know, how do you how do you navigate, um, you know, uh, grant writing or, you know. Uh, how do you how do you move forward in a career or whatever? You know, I can't say you know directly that um, there was any uh, thing that she actually uh, did or said that um, you know advanced me in a way directly career wise, but she always had wonderful things to say that helped me have the right attitude, a productive attitude um, towards things and just helped me kind of turn things around mentally, uh, no matter what was happening. Um, but Pauline, um, I, when I created my instrument, um, I so much loved her accordion sound and I aim toward it in the tone of this instrument. Um, and I had it in mind that I 
really um, wished to play with her, uh, but I felt uh, that I needed to go through some development before I could, um, you know, uh, be, uh, you know, uh, have, have enough facility or uh, with what with what I wanted to do um, to, in, to be able to work with her. But uh, uh, there was a certain point in the um, early 90s where um, I think I, I got up the courage to ask her and uh, she responded with yes and um, and we we worked together to um, um, do some uh, make some grant proposals and both of our proposals were funded she was commissioned to, to compose a work for her group the deep listening band with my ensemble of musicians playing my instrument and and I was commissioned as well and um, that was that was really um, kind of a landmark for me. We worked in 1993 and 94 uh, and she brought um, her group Deep Listening Band, her uh, trio of collaborators, uh, David Gamper and Stuart Dempster, to um, Austin and did kind of a residency. They came uh, three times, you know, very generous in the in the amount of time that, that they um, gave to the project. And I learned so much uh, having that experience. It, you know, it would be really one of those, um, there was a before and an after uh, for me. Um, and it was, it was a real landmark piece. Um, yeah. I read that you created uh, the long string instrument in the early 80s. Uh, would you have met Pauline Oliveros around that time? Well, um, actually, I did meet Pauline Oliveros uh, in 1980. I met her before I started working on the long string instrument. Um, there was a festival at the Walker Art Center in Minneapolis, where I lived, uh, that uh, she was an artist uh, performing in, and um, so I was I was able to hear her music and meet her. And Pauline uh, was a very generous person with young people. She some some. Well-known people are uh, not approachable, or just you know, uh, you know, don't uh, make their time available. But but Pauline did. Pauline really, really cared to um, you know have some interaction and discuss things with young artists. She always did. I, I saw her do this. You know, I was you know, <laughs> I saw her do this. You know, like well beyond you know <laughs> my generation. Uh, and um, it was just a, just really um, wonderful to um, see and uh, her um, you know model this kind of um, generosity and openness. I also wanted to say the selections I chose, um, I chose them because they make me feel good. And Pauline's music, uh, you know, this piece and hearing her accordion, I always felt uplifted by her sound. And that was her intention. And I feel that it is an important thing. I mean, you know, there's there's all kinds of sounds out there. And, and the darkest sound or the roughest sound has the potential to be uplifting. But I'm, I just have to say that... Um, uh, Pauline's accordion music really um, 
feels uplifting to me, and I value that um, as a quality in music. I wanted to ask about the genesis moment of the long string instrument that you've been uh, developing and playing all these years. Uh, you said in uh, in some ways it had its in, its roots in uh, Pauline Oliveris's accordion sound, but I'm curious uh, about the other things that fed into it. Fortunately, my interaction with this project uh, has always kept me moving forward. It's never static. I, I really continue to learn uh, things, and I feel um, uh, develop, you know, myself as a composer, as an artist, the sound of the instrument is developing. Um, and I, I, I started it with a very raw, uh, you know, uh, raw structure. Um, it was just a wire with a spring, tin can. Um, I amplified the tin can, I put water in it. Um, I bowed it with a bow. Um, I initially got the idea of uh, exploring a long string from Alvin Lussier's Music on a Long Thin Wire, which was installed uh, for the New Music America Festival in 1980, uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul. Um, that's what got me started but my instrument works on a completely different principle. I just strung up a long wire just to, just to see what I might be able to do with it or if I um, manipulated it, um, just uh, manipulated it uh, tactilely, um, you know, uh, acoustically. Um, and it was really fun. Um, I. I bowed the string very close to the resonator. If I moved the bow any further than about uh, a foot, there was just more of just like a breathy, um, you know, uh, texture. It really uh, didn't make much tone. Um, and this this bowing I had done uh, left a deposit of rosin on that wire. And um, this was, I installed this wall to wall in a, in a loft space where I also lived. And so I was, you know, walking back and forth past this thing. And one time I brushed against it and, it, and along, brushed along against it by accident. And it made, it made this um, tone, like a, a musical bowed tone. And I started to touch it. And then that uh, then gave me the idea of like, well, if I could tune this, I could have multiple strings and I could play harmony because that's what I was really searching for was to be able to play chords. Uh, that's what I wanted to do in my music and I wanted to build something that I could play chords on. Whenever I learned how to play something uh, traditional uh, and I started to become proficient, I lost interest. That's just my personality. Um, I need to be um, exploring something that I feel is new. And fortunately for myself, this instrument continues to be new. I, uh, you know, my, my um, interaction, you know, the, the level of interaction may fluctuate up and down over these, all of these decades, um, where I, I feel, oh, am I in a rut? Should I stop? Um, and then something else happens just through continuing, just through um, 
really just putting one foot in front of the other literally and just playing like if one as a as a musician practices things just happen you just start to just produce tone with your body you know any horn player will you know say that any any musician will attest to the fact that practice uh changes things it's not static and i've really through practicing which is something that i came to from studying indian music um i studied um north indian um vocal music for 4 years and i witnessed my vocal cords becoming more resonant through practice so i could i could manipulate my own body just like a bodybuilder can um through simply sticking with it and just doing it no matter how bad it may sound sometimes you know just sticking with it and that's what i've done with my instrument i i learned that lesson and i thought you know what might happen if i practice what's happened is it it has evolved and i'm i'm really pleased like as a matter of fact just just within days you know some things have happened you know that where i feel i'm i've got a more interesting sound um so you know that that's what it's like for me <laughs> This has been Essential Tremors. Essential Tremors is produced by me, Matt Byers, and Lee Gardner. Essential Tremors is distributed by WYPR Baltimore. To get in touch, get more information, or buy Essential Tremors merchandise, go to EssentialPodcast.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>